to the Freedom Nation podcast with Jeff Kickle. On this show, Jeff shares his expertise in financial and retirement planning from a different perspective. Planning for your Freedom Day, which is the first day that you wake up and have enough income or assets and do not have to go to work that day. Learn how to calculate what you need, how to generate income sources, and listen to interviews from others who've done it themselves. Get ready to experience your own Freedom Day. Hey, everybody, it's Jeff here with the Freedom Nation podcast, and I am so excited today. Uh, We are going to continue on our stream of folks that uh, we are getting to know from overseas. Um, I'm going to bring on my friend, Jamin Frazier. Uh, Jamin's from Australia. Um, He lives down between Canberra and uh, and Sydney, and uh, he is part of a group that I am part of um, that I was introduced to him. And uh, it's, it's fun because we can do this type of stuff now today, and we don't have to drag people into a podcast room. So, Jamin, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. Um, welcome. Uh, looking forward to hearing about your, your project. And so just so that you all know, uh, Jamin actually has a project. Uh, he uh, has a, a life project that he's been working on called the Insecurity Project. And so he's going to talk to us a little bit about that today. So, Jamin, uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Uh, look, um, I was started, started my professional work as a church pastor. So okay. I grew up in a, in a really traditional Christian uh, upbringing. I love that experience. And uh, one thing led to the other in terms of more responsibility, more leadership, and just a real passion to work with people and help them be good at being themselves. And so I went from the youth pastor to the senior pastor a lot earlier than I thought. And at 23, I was given the reins of my local church. Uh, And we also had a a Christian school and a daycare center running as well, Uh, which when I got given the leadership of, I found out six weeks later was trading insolvently. So not only was it a a baptism of fire in terms of leadership of of a community of people, but a baptism of fire in terms of business. So and that was that was ten years of my at, life at age twenty three of all things too. <laughs> that's that's exactly right, uh, but I loved it and I felt really really called to that and uh, it was a very meaningful season of my life. Uh, but the thing that really frustrated me and and caused me a lot of, to lose sleep at night was, uh, you know, as pastor you're invited into people's world to have conversations about change all the time. People want to talk to you about the pain points, what's going on in their marriage, what's happening with their kids, you know, what's wrong with their businesses, their, their finances are struggling, their relationship health. And, and so I would, I would find myself having the same conversations with the same people in the same way and, and I wouldn't see people actually make significant change. And, and that perplexed me at the time because I just was curious as to why Christians predominantly would outsource all the change work to God. It's as though, you know, it's like have faith, you know, just believe, just trust, um, you know, just rock up the church, pray, read your Bible, give money to the church, and then God will magically somehow fix all your problems and dysfunction. The, you know, the idea of responsibility, the idea of accountability, the idea of self-awareness all seemed far too secular in the church community that I was a part of. But, but that was strange to me. It, it felt like that should be the centre of it. Um, Surely we have a responsibility for our own decision making. Um, any, anyway, so uh, long story short, 
I invited a mentor of mine to come run a spiritual retreat for our church community. And, and I knew he had some coaching background. And I said, would you, would you be willing just to bring us a few personal development tools as well into our spiritual development retreat? So he introduced some coaching frameworks and I was instantly gobsmacked. I thought, where has this technology been? <laughs> this is brilliant, sharp empowering life-changing and and i knew in that moment i had to learn more about this and so i hassled him can you teach me this can you train me and he says i'm not the guy Uh, so i went online found the first coach training organization i could and signed up for a two-year diploma of life coaching um and uh it was it was it was wonderful and and I can remember vividly being in the intake for the first three-day intensive as part of this two-year training. And, and day two of that, I just was so assured that this was the right space for me that I called my wife and said, look, I'm, I'm going to quit my job. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. I was working as a school chaplain at the time as well. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to be a coach. I'm going to start my own coaching business. Uh, and I'm going to do that now. And, you know, coaching in our country, I'm not sure about yours, but I imagine it's, it's similar in some ways. It's, it's not a regulated industry. So yep. there are no barriers to entry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, so, and life coaches, you can swing a dead cat and hit a, about 10 of them at any given time. Exactly. It's a term I stopped using for three years just because of that very reason. It, yeah. It's a, uh, especially business networking, you know, you kind of sat down the end with the Amway salesman and the multi-level <laughs> marketers. Um, but nevertheless, life coaching was what I learned and that's what I did and that's what I started my business doing. So I gave myself four weeks to make this business work before my money ran out from the pastoring and the chaplaincy. Um, and it was a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> but on, on the last day of that four weeks, I'm driving around town wondering what I've done and uh, fortuitously went into an employment agency because I just thought, these guys are working with people who are very, very stuck and, and they, they don't know how to get unstuck. And I felt like if I could contribute the frameworks and tools that I had to these people who'd been stuck for years, sometimes generationally, I think I could help them. And, and I reckon that's how employment agencies make their most money is off the back of the most long-term unemployed people getting work. So that's what I did and, and they loved it. And I ended up being able to run that in multi-sites um, and, and they loved it so much. I ended up being able to run it, uh, to train a bunch of other coaches. So at the height of that operation, I had 30 coaches working for me around the country, delivering a six week program I developed for employment agencies and creating some really amazing results with people who'd been written off. Yeah. And, but, and the funny part is this has all happened on the last day that you gave yourself on the last day I gave myself. Exactly. Right. You just think, Ah, man, but I, I, I do, I've, like if I look back over my life and think about the key decisions I've made, um, without fail, the best decisions are decisions I'm most proud of and the decisions that have, that have changed my life the most have always been say yes, work at hell later. Yep. They've always been, I know that this is right. I don't know how, I really don't, but I'm in and I'm all in and there's no backup plan. And so you create this vacuum where you have to find a way. So Sure, it happens on the last day, um, but it's going to happen some way because it has to happen. Yeah, there's no other alternative. Well, and, so- and this is this is where I think it is a God thing because it seems to me that God kind of looks at you and goes, "Okay, if you're going to just sit around, I'm not going to help you. But if you're going to put some effort in, I will. I'll help you in the end. 
But the funny part about it is he's got a really, really sick sense of humor sometimes the way he delivers. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm loving The Miracle Equation at the moment by Hal Elrod. I'm not uh -huh. sure if you're familiar with that book, but um, Unwavering Faith and Massive Action. And to me, that again has been the key part of all my best decisions. It's just yeah. this belief that I, I know this is yeah. right. I know this is, I, I am going to make this work, but then you do whatever it takes as well. So those two yeah. things go hand in hand. Well, and, and it's, um, and that's, I, I, I've said it for years as an entrepreneur. You know, I can't tell you, my, my first really successful business was a co working space. And, you know, there was no other model like that in the town that I lived in. And I can't tell you how many people came to me afterwards and they're like, oh, I had that idea. You know, I, I had that idea. I was thinking about that three or four years ago. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you were thinking about it three years ago. <laughs> I actually did it. There's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. So talk a little bit about, you know, what you do now. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so from that start with the employment agencies, it, it was, it was amazing. I learned, I learned my best stuff about coaching, working with people who were, who I was told could not change, would not change, were outside of change. And I thought, what a beautiful place to cut my teeth mm -hmm. with people who've been written off because if it can work here, it can work anywhere. Yep. So that was remarkable, but pretty stressful at the same time because uh, the front end was all amazing, but the back end was, was messy and I underestimated how hard it would be to train other coaches. Um, one of the things I've, which has made me reclaim the life coaching tag, you know, in an unregulated industry is that the only way to survive as a life coach in my estimation is to embody your message mm -hmm. and you can't fake that and you can't do that in a week. And, and no one wants to hear from a 23 year old life coach because they can't possibly be embodying their message. They haven't had enough time in the game to bring wisdom out of their own being. And so I could teach people some skills around how to coach, but I couldn't replicate the embodiment part. And so the wheel started to fall off that pretty dramatically. Uh, and so many iterations around what happens next. This is what I'm good at. I've found a few ways to make this work, but um, you know, how am I going to make this work long-term? Uh, I, I developed uh, some coaching boot camps for disempowered housewives. I, I uh, developed some coaching programs for leaders. Uh, I, I offered just general coaching for anyone who was looking to improve their performance and all had varying levels of success. Um, but then it wasn't until I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss where he talks about time, money, mobility, yep. uh, that I went another all-in decision and and moved my family to Germany for nine months, nice. and with with one person signed up to my overcoming insecurity boot camp and no plan B, and so, um, but just this idea of you have to scale, you have to be able to deliver results without being in the room, and up until then, I'd have just relied on face to face. So, um, again, a lot harder than I imagined, but I had to find a way to make that work and. That just helped me refine my skill set around firstly dealing with insecurity most because in all my dealings with unemployed people, every level of this function, it always came back to limiting beliefs about themselves every yeah. single time. So I knew that if I could get good at helping people change their beliefs, not just their behavior, then I could be useful to anyone. And so I really kept fine-tuning that. I I didn't label myself uh, that until years later, but um, that was the skill set I was developing. So 
built the, the work around transformation, but then also the, the business skills around scaling, uh, using tech, um, you know, creating online platforms that could serve people while I was asleep. So, um, but yeah, to answer your, your question a long way, what do I do now? Well, well, three and a half years ago, I I did brand myself as the insecurity project. And uh, I told my business coach at the time that I wanted to help leaders and entrepreneurs and business owners, people with skin in the game, uh, do the personal development work. Because often I saw they had a business plan, they had a marketing plan, they had an idea, but they'd never really dealt with the internal world. And by the time they were at midlife, that was the thing that was creating the lid. That was the handbrake. That was the stuff. And so I thought they're the people I can serve most. Um, I told my business coach at the time, and he's like, insecurity? Like, that's not going to work. People are insecure about being insecure. No one's going to put their hand up and say, hey, Jamin, I'm insecure. Can you come help me? And, and he said, worse still, it goes against business convention. You're not supposed to pitch the problem. You're supposed to pitch the promise or the price. So you should be their confidence coach or the security guy, the self-esteem expert, or, you know, you, you can't be the insecurity guy. That's the wrong way around. And it definitely knocked the wind out of my sails for a few days until, you know, it made, made me go back and reflect on who I am and what I wanted. And I just said, you know, he, he's not my mum. You know, so he can't tell me what to do. So it's like, what are you, what are you going to do? What, what do you want? Like, well, all I want to do is lead a conversation globally about a massive issue that causes untold suffering that no one else is really tackling in my estimation. That's what I want to do. That's why I feel like I was born. So, so it's like, cool, well, then go do that. I will. And it was a flag in the sand kind of moment. I'm going to be the insecurity guy. That's all I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about it from the very start. I'm not going to edge my way in or hide the message. I'm going to go insecurity. It's costing you. It's the hard conversation, but it's a solvable problem. I promise you. And mm-hmm. uh, so all my, yeah, all my life's work has been wrapped up in the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity. And, and specifically I work with people who've got skin in the game mm-hmm. or, be, you know, because it's costing them the most. Um, everyone's got insecurity, but, if you're in a, in a safe kind of comfort zone area, it's, you're probably still managing. You're probably still taking them a paycheck. You're probably still, you know, got a level of protection in that. But you step the moment you step out and follow your heart, if you don't deal with insecurity then, you, you, you can't survive in that space. Well, and, and it's interesting too, because so many CEOs and, and really, really senior people, you know, it's a really lonely world too, because you, you really, there's nobody within your company and, and sometimes even at home, you know, if, if there's troubles going on at work, you can't talk with the people that work for you because they're going to lose faith. You sometimes yep. can't talk with your spouse about it because they're going to worry. So yes. you're just kind of stuck, you know, and hopefully you have friends that, you know, you can talk to that are other business owners. But, you know, that doesn't always, you know, especially us guys, it's like, no, nah, I don't want to talk about my insecurities. You know, I'm just going to I'll just I'll just bite my way through it. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. Because of the vulnerability of that, uh, yeah. it's a difficult subject to talk about. Mm-hmm. But if you don't face it, it gets worse, mm-hmm. not better. I some people think I'm a bit dramatic, but I I think unresolved insecurity actually weakens the human being to the point of mm-hmm. madness. Yeah, and we all well, know people I, later I mean, in it life. Affects your, yeah, it affects your health. Too. It mean, affects you've everything. That, yeah, you've got that building up inside of you. So, can you walk through like your process? How you know if somebody comes to you that 
has is willing to open their mind and say, hey, I, I need help. What's the process that you take them through? Sure. So practice five in my model is actually where I begin, which might sound strange, but it, practice five is get help from someone who doesn't care about you. Okay. Um, so this is really counterintuitive, but it's a game changer and it gives me a clean space to talk with such a vulnerable subject. So my very first job when I start into the process is to convince the person who's come to see me that I do not care about them, that I will not lose sleep over them, that I'm not, I'm not impacted by their pain, I'm not rewarded by their success, I have no vested interest in their journey. I'm not another person who wants them to be happier, healthier, fitter, stronger, richer. I don't care. It's not my life, not my problem. Um, and people are like, whoa, hang on. I, I thought I need someone to believe in me, encourage me, hold my yeah. hand, hold me accountable. All feels lovely. But in terms of what it takes to overcome insecurity, no one's coming to save you. Mm-hmm. You were the one that created this mess. You were the one that formed beliefs, opinions, Um, narratives agreements about yourself and you are the only one who can change those you will need help i promise you Uh, and but the help kind of mirrors the hero's journey in many ways Mm. are you familiar with that metaphor from joseph campbell yeah from joseph campbell i was just i was just about to say you know um russell brunson here i don't know if you're familiar with him the founder of click funnels yeah yeah. Uh, in his expert secrets book he talks about you know the hero's two journeys and yeah well in the hero's journey there's always a wisdom character Mm-hmm. You know, there's a Gandalf, Yoda, or a Dumbledore, Mr. Miyagi, um, but they're not the hero. And I think the great challenges, challenge for coaches, counselors, and psychologists is not to confuse the world about who the hero is mm-hmm. by getting in the way. And, and I think there's a lot of rescuers that kind of go into that work because it feels good to be needed and feels mm-hmm. good to have all the answers. But if you have all the answers and you rescue, you disempower the hero and they never go on and beat the dragon. And so, I, my process is, listen, I, I know how to fix this and I've already fixed it for me and I will show you the process and lead you there, but eventually you're going to have to face the dragon. You're going to have to go back to the very beginning, the very first time you decided there was some lack, limit, you know, inadequacy with you and you're going to have to see whether or not that's true. Hmm. It won't be, I promise you, but I can't tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to go find that out for yourself. Um so yeah, that's that's always where I begin. And if I don't get that clean space, I, there's no point proceeding because then I'm going to have to work too hard. They're going to look me, look to my energy, my belief in them, my confidence in them, and that's that's nice. But the moment I stop doing it, uh, then they're back to where they started. Absolutely, so, yeah. That and I, I I like that approach because and I I love the approach of just coming at it from the, you know what. I, I really don't care. <laughs> I care, but I don't. <laughs> well, my dad always, because he, he has, Jim, but you're, you have a pastor's heart. You care about people you love. You can't say you don't care. That's not true. I'm like, dad, great. Of course I care. I was born to do this. I bring my whole heart and soul to the table. Mm-hmm. I've just worked out that the moment I bring that wanting, that care into the coaching conversation, I lose all ability to serve that person. I get in the way and I would never do that. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a wonderful thing because it's so rare. Everyone wants something for you or from you. So to have a clean conversation with someone who has some tools and frameworks, that's just there to serve you mm-hmm. means all of a sudden it's safe to come out of hiding and have every conversation. Mm-hmm. So I find people drop into deep level conversation that they've never heard themselves have, you know, they haven't spoken even these words to themselves because mm-hmm. 
of the fear of what happens if I open the hood and have a look in what am I going to find out? But if you can't be implicated by anything you find out, well, then it's safe to do self-awareness. And That's outstanding. And, and so how mind. often do you meet with folks? Uh, sure. So I have two, well, um, well, three, three really, three offerings. I, I do a, an online short course for people who are just dipping a toe in the water and want a kind of self-coaching exercise off the back of reading my book. Uh, then I do a, a six-week group process for people who are still employees and can't really... Have, don't have a return on investment idea about how they're going to invest in six months of coaching. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's weekly for six weeks. But then for my entrepreneurs, leaders, decision makers, problem solvers, um, it is a deep dive and there's a high level of one-on-one. So for the first eight weeks, there's, there's daily modules and conversation. There's content, video. It's all short and sharp, but there is a conversation happening every day pretty yeah. much for the first two months. Um, then some group stuff gets involved and the intensity drops back to monthly. Then there's a retreat. Like there's a six months is a beautiful amount of time to really create some lasting transformation. So it's, it's basically the coaching equivalent to your four week. Okay. If, if this doesn't work, I don't know what's going to happen type of a situation. I mean, yeah, it is a very it is. finite thing because so much, so much therapy and other things. It's like, oh, it's an open-ended process until you figure it out. And yeah, yeah. I think that's also a surprise to people around process. Often they imagine the coaching space is just going to be about listening mm. and support. Um, that's not it at all. You cannot think new thoughts without new frameworks to hang those new thoughts on. So my coaching is high in content, n- not to give advice or tell people what they should do, but to help them think differently about their experience, mm-hmm. to help them understand the mechanics of how beliefs are formed in the first place and how they are changed. So my model, I didn't invent the seven essential practices. My life's work was to deconstruct it. I went into the world and found the people who had already solved this problem, of which there was many, and I reverse engineered it, worked out how they did it, pulled it apart, in every instant, there was there was these seven practices that showed up, whether they were aware of it or not. So I thought, if they can do it, I can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. So that model is is very content rich. There's a bunch of tools and frameworks and structures that I'm not sure it's possible to make change unless you can think differently and understand some stuff. And you, you know, knowledge is power when it comes to transformation. But or back to your initial point, there is an end point too. It's like yeah. this far, and then I must get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, do you, uh, you have people come back to you after. Well, there's always opportunity to, yeah. to fine tune process later on. And mm-hmm. what I love about the insecurity process and, and to be unhindered by doubt for an insecurity is that what I tell people is it is entirely possible to solve insecurity completely on the level of growth you currently occupy to be unhindered, to be at your best where it matters most here and now. But the moment you are unhindered, you're going to take new territory. And when you take new territory, you're going to face new uncertainties and new growth, and you're going to face new limiting beliefs. You just worked out that you were good enough for this level, but are you good enough for this level? You just worked out you're good enough to earn this much, but are you good enough to earn this much? And so the same seven practices that got you free there will get you free here. So and sometimes people do cycle back, but every, t- every time you do it, you get quicker at it, you get better at it, you get sharper at it. Well, they, they know the tools. They just need sometimes that little extra boost of, okay, this is how exactly you use right. this tool in this situation. So tell me what's new in your world now. So I've got a, a new book coming out. Uh, it's released in April in Australia and October in the US. 
uh, and it's called Leverage, How to Change the People You Love for All the Right Reasons and Get the Relationships You Deserve, nice. uh, which is a provocative title, um, but a very important one because it speaks to the idea that don't try and change the one you love is actually the worst marriage advice ever given. Two people, when they fall in love, come together with intimacy and the space between them is clean. There's nothing between them other than openness, rapport and connection. But inevitably, the very next thing that's going to happen is someone's going to disappoint the other person, miss the, not make their expectations, offend them, upset them, and now the space is polluted. And if you don't find a way to clean that space, the relationship deteriorates towards an arrangement. You want to keep intimacy, you've got to keep the space clean. So you're going to need to fight hard. You're going to need to improve the quality of that person. And if you allow dysfunction to continue, the space stays polluted and things deteriorate. So leverage, it, it sounds counterintuitive. It sounds, I'm sure that's not, not appropriate, but not only is it appropriate, it's essential. You want great relationships? You have to change the people you love and they have to change you. <laughs> Otherwise, things get worse, not better. That awesome. So that's what's new in my world. I'm, I'm in that, the process exciting. of... And you, uh, you said you're going to be uh, doing a, a, a book tour here in the States, correct? I am, which is very exciting. I had planned a, a book tour in 2020, March 2020, uh, for my <laughs> second <that>. book. <laughs> no, but, but, um, and I was so devastated that I didn't get to go. It was, it was kind of, it felt like a real breakthrough opportunity for me. And, um, but here we are uh, two and a half years later and, and I've got an extra couple of books under my belt. In the meantime, I used the opportunity to, to keep writing. And so I feel like I've got some more tools for people and nice. are really excited about getting over there and serving some entrepreneurs and leaders and business owners. We, we look forward to making introductions for you over here. Thanks, All Jeff. right. Well, next step is the fast five questions. So you ready? Right. I All right. Here we go. You wake up in the morning. Your business is totally gone. You have 500 bucks in your pocket, laptop, computer, place to live, food and, and shelter. What do you do next? Uh, nothing changes, which I don't know whether you believe me or not, but uh, Sam Harris, I don't know if you know Sam, he, uh, his meditation app has really been super useful. I, I love the idea of meditating, but I've always struggled to work out how to do that properly. And he, he just gave me a really clear structure of how to do that. Um, but anyway, at about seven minutes in his 10-minute meditation, there's a line which caused me a lot of pain early on. And it was, and now begin again in this moment. I'm like, what have I been doing for the last seven minutes? Now I've got to go back to the start and begin again. It just feels like I've wasted all that. Um, but it's so good because it's like all you have is this moment. What's been has already gone and you don't have the future yet. So just be here. And so I actually use that line frequently in my own business. Jamin, begin again in this moment begin again in this moment are you doing exactly what you want to be doing with the people you want to be doing it with in the way you want to be doing it if not change it begin again in this moment begin again in this moment so i wake up in the morning it's all failed i, I do exactly what i'm doing again with these people i do it with my whole heart so uh, i i really think that answer is honest i it i that's a, as honest an answer as i've ever gotten to that question so i love it <laughs> um what is the biggest business mistake that you've made uh, I love this one. question. Sorry. <laughs> I said, you have to pick one. Yeah. So. I, I do have one that sticks out of my mind. Um, 
uh, and I've made the mistake three times, but it's the same mistake. Um, outsourcing the marketing of my business mm-hmm. uh, just because it's so hard. All you know, you want leads to be flying in, money in the bank. Oh, someone can market business for you. You can, they're going to. It's going to cost a lot of money, but they're going to magically drive traffic and increase your reach. And it's like excellent. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And so, it was a real. It was a real me avoiding the difficulty of sharpening my pitch, refining my message, being clearer in my sales process myself. I avoided what I didn't know how to do and I thought someone else could do it for me. But they didn't know my business. They couldn't sell it like I would. Um, I spent a lot of money with for no results and I did that three times in different ways, which is painful to be honest about. Join the club, buddy. (laughs) Sorry. I said, join the club, buddy. We've all been there. (laughs) And it's not to say you shouldn't spend money on marketing, but I think if you are, especially when you have a personal brand. So my business is is me. Um, So to outsource that, no one one is going to sell my business like me. They're not. So any, any clunkiness in my sales process reflects on my own limiting beliefs, my lack of understanding. So that's on me to improve that so that, there's much more flow in how I communicate what I do when it's easy for people to do business with me. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, I, the way I always talk to people, I, you know, I do a ton of marketing training for small business owners. And, you know, what I tell people is you have to control the strategy and the message. You can yeah. hire somebody to do the, the work, sure. you know, you can hire somebody to go out there and do, you know, do the posting and all that type of stuff, but you really have to know and understand where you're trying to go. And, and it sounds like you've made it to that point where, okay, I understand the process and I understand yeah. how to sell myself. I can hire somebody relatively inexpensive to do that work for me. Of course. And I have, have done that outsource things yeah. that I can do, but to take responsibility for the content and the strategy, that was yeah. a hard thing. That was what yeah. I was avoiding. And the results. You know, that's the other piece of it. You have to take responsibility for the result. Mm. Um, so tell me a good book that you would recommend. And I know you're going to fire off a ton of them, but. <laughs> oh, I, I love books. Um, and the one that I would recommend uh, is by Daniel Priestley called A Key Person of Influence. Um, I actually did their business accelerator a few years ago. So I've, I've had a deep dive into that process and. I love their philosophy. It's like, okay, business is going to be hard until you are a key person of influence in your industry. Um, until you are a key person of influence, here your full-time work is to become a key person of influence. Here are the five things you must work on most to get there. So I think it's a really sharp framework, um, proven they, they do a, a great work in helping business owners become key person of influence. And certainly my own experience of applying that book has changed my own business and my life. So of all the books I could recommend to me, that seems that's the top. That's the top well, of the list. First time I've ever heard one. So that that's this is always my opportunity to to find new books too. So this mm. is uh, this is excellent. Uh, what is a tool that you use in your business every day? It could be an Evernote or something like that um, that you use that you would recommend other people use. Uh, I'm a bit old school when it comes to tools. So a blank page and a nice pen. <laughs> I, I have a ring bound. Journal, I get the same one every time. Go through plenty of them. But to me, a clean white page and a nice black pen uh, is a tool that it's it breathes 
breeds creativity in me. I open that page, the smell of the, the paper and the pen, and I just go, I could write or draw something there that has never been conceptualized or written or drawn in the history of the world. That's what lies inside me. So I love going tech free and, and actual writing, just, just and going drawing, so, just going so- to the paper. And I do that every day. I, I just, I find that really useful to get my thoughts out of my head, process them and see if there's anything that makes sense. Often there's not, uh, but sometimes there'll be stuff that's, that's brilliant and, and sharp. And, and that's the place where I formulate those, those ideas and then go apply them where, where they need applying. So here's the funny part. So uh, years ago, I used to have a YouTube show called Entrepreneur Essentials. The very, very, very first show that I ever did was a friend of mine that is here in the Austin area. And that was his answer. And there you go. Thousands of shows. Nobody else has answered that same thing. And, and if you are even halfway as successful as John Russell doing it, I totally agree. I mean, there's just times you have to go low tech. I mean, everybody laughs at me because even though I have all these electronic calendars and everything Mm -hmm. else, and, you know, so that my team can book, Every morning I walk in and I write my schedule down on a, on a day timer and I write my task list down because there's mm-hmm. just something about that tactile feeling of doing it. So yeah. totally agree. So how can somebody get in contact with you or how can they then can they learn a little bit more about what you're talking about with the insecurity project? Yeah, well, one of the interesting things that happened when I went hard about being the insecurity guy against my business coach's advice uh, was that there's actually no one else in the world who's gone that hard after that one word. Mm-hmm. So it's it's quite easy to find me if you search insecurities. Fairly fairly shortly, you'll come up something I've written, something I've spoken. I've got the Insecurity Project podcast, um, written five books. Uh, you know, my socials, Insta or Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, or, you, or you Google the insecurityproject.com and you'll find my website. Uh, we'll, and we'll put all those links on our, on our uh, social media page and on our, our show yeah. notes page so people can link right to you. And there's a, we mentioned before the show, there's a really cool test I've developed. If you're like, ah, oh, man, insecurity, how do I get my teeth into that subject? Am I really insecure? I don't really know. I've, I've developed a, two tests to help people work out a if they're insecure b where insecurity is costing the most so first test is where insecurity is costing you in your life across five key areas second one is where insecurity is costing you most in your business if you're running your own show so a bit of fun but actually a useful self-awareness tool to begin the process of actually facing up the insecurity so you can you can deal with it and that's on the insecurityproject.com correct it is yep nice very good well, Jamin, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was a fantastic interview. I, I love what you're doing. Um, I, I I always feel like I'm that guy too. That's like, okay, what everybody else is saying, don't do something that makes yeah. me want to do that thing more Yeah, <laughs> as a result of it. And, and if you own it, and if you own being that expert in it, you're leading a movement. And I, I just absolutely applaud you for that. It's fantastic. Thank you, Jeff. And thanks for a lovely conversation. Ask some really great questions. And it's always a privilege to uh, be given people's ears to speak to them about such an important subject. Excellent. Well, folks, uh, thank you for listening in. Uh, certainly, I would encourage you go to the show notes page, connect with Jamin so you can learn a little bit more 
I would take those tests if I were you. Nobody's going to know. Just go ahead and do it and see what comes out of it. Um, and also, wherever we're at, please subscribe to the channel, uh, wherever you're listening to this. And more than anything, we love comments and we love questions. So please make sure that you add a comment, give us a question. We love to put those into uh, shows down the road. So the more questions we get, we can really build a show around that. So thank you very much. And we will see you back here the next time. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Nation podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and all the major channels. Wherever you're listening, please subscribe to the channel and leave a rating and review. If you have friends and family that could benefit from their own Freedom Day, please share with them. Finally, join Freedom Nation by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 